Well, you know what? If you uh, if you like movies, you probably like movies that have uh, spies. You know that kind of it brings intrigue, doesn't it? Stories of spies, and of course, it's been you know all ri- written and shown in movies and TV shows and such. Well, you know what? That's okay. But if the spies happen to be spying on us, that's a different story, isn't it? Uh, so, about spies. What if they spied on Christianity? Spied on our church and churches all across the world, right? Well, I want to tell you something that is kind of interesting. There was a, a, a few years ago, quite a few years ago, an atheist by the name of Gina Welch. She was not a believer at all. She went undercover for two years. She joined a Christian megachurch. It's easy to join in one of those. She made a profession of faith. It was not real, but she made the profession. She was baptized. And she even went on mission trips. So she looked like full-fledged Christian. She blended right in with them. And then she wrote a book. Wrote the story about her experience called In the Land of Believers. An Outsider's Extraordinary Journey into the Heart of the Evangelical Church. Well, there was something more dark and more recent than that. Uh, A man by the name of Kevin Roos wrote a book about it how he exposed the weaknesses of Christianity. He was a student at Brown University, and you can say, what's Brown? Well, you know about the Ivy League schools? Yale, Harvard, Brown. He was from Brown. But he transferred from Brown to Liberty University, which is the ultra-conservative university, right? And Jerry Falwell was the founder of that. And so we know the fundamental type beliefs that were there all the way through. And so he went to school there all at the same time, knowing he was going to be writing a book. But he blended right into the culture of Christians. And that's pretty easy to do. He faked it. He made it look real. He even went on evangelistic trips. I mean, this guy was looking like he was gung-ho. And he's right, getting ready to write this book. He did. It was called The Unlikely Disciple, A Sinner's Semester at America's Holiest Girls. No messing with the door, please. He said it was... um, Let me try it again. The Unlikely Disciple, A Sinner's Semester at America's Holiest University. A sinner having a semester there at the Holiest University. Now, his point, of course, was really exposing evangelical Christianity, exposing the embarrassing weaknesses that Christians have. We do. You know, we're like sheep. Uh, And it's easy to expose anybody, you know, really. But Christians uh, are supposed to believe until they see that they can't really believe that anymore, right? You're to accept people. And so that's why it's easy to bring them in. These guys were like spies, weren't they? And they wrote books about it. Uh, Some of them about dark stories and making Christians look bad. Well, 
something like that is happening in the passage before us today because we have spies here. Are you intrigued by this? Uh, We really do. It's even said in the Scriptures here that they were as spies. Chief priests and scribes, they know that they can't take a frontal assault on Jesus because of the crowd that is around. Not at this moment. They would run a risk of getting the people angry and enraged and who knows what they would do. They don't want to lose the respect that they have from the people. So they're really cool about that. They pose to have respect for Jesus as they come up almost like incognito to Jesus and ask a question. It's really not only to embarrass Him, but it's to get Him in trouble with the Roman government. That's the idea. So what's the proper response to the Roman occupation that's happening there in Israel? What do you, what do, you do with this? It's, uh, it's troubling sometimes. You know, are we to pay tribute to Caesar? We're Jewish. Why should we pay taxes to him? What's the proper response here? So, it's a burning political question. It creates all sorts of havoc if uh, people talk about this. Taxes always have, haven't they? Right? It's one of the things they say not to talk about. What are the two things? Religion. Religion and taxes. Well, this story is bigger than paying taxes. We are to not only render unto Caesar what is his, but we are to render unto God our very souls. Our whole being is to be given to Him. And we're to be made more in the image of Jesus Christ. Well, we are as Christians, recreated into the image of the Son of God. So how is it that believers in Christ, how do they relate to a pagan government that they live under? That would be true then. It would be true for 2,000 years. And it would be true today. How does that happen? Well, that's where we're at today. Let's uh, pick up our Bibles, turn to Luke 20, at verse 19 is where we start. This is called, In His Image. The scribes, the chief priests, tried to lay hands on Him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that He spoke this parable against them. So they watched Him, and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and to the authority of the governor. They questioned him saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God and truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and description does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, 
Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people, and being amazed at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray. Father, we are excited about our Jesus. He is the triumphant one. He is the victor. He wins every debate. He wins every argument that is set against Him. And Jesus has the answer. And He is the answer. Lord, as we open up Your Word this morning and we read it, have it preached. May it speak to us. This is You, Lord, speaking to each one of us here. Thank You, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to read it and to understand. We invite Your Holy Spirit, as He is amongst us, to teach us today what these spiritual truths are. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, well... Quite a passage, and you're probably thinking, oh, we're going to talk about taxes today. (laughs) Since April is coming up. But to be honest with you, that is going to be very small in this, even though you can make a whole topic on this. But keeping it in context, we're seeing why he's really putting this forth. And what I'm seeing is that there is a sense of, yes, there is truth there, and there's something here that we are to learn in that, dealing with taxes and government such much further is our relationship with Christ. And that's where we're hammering at today here. We'll try to get into as much as we can into the depth of this. God's Word is deep, isn't it? So we're going to try to delve into there and yet dig out the most practical truth that's good for us. first one is there's a hypocrisy here of attempting to entrap Jesus. They are wanting to seize Him, aren't they? Why is that? Well, just a few verses before this, where we ended last week, He uh, really indicted them. He taught a parable of the vineyard owner. The vineyard owner kept killing and torturing and beating the, the prophets that had been sent, really, that's really what it was, but it was the, the Father sent slaves, slaves representing prophets, and so they were kicked out of the vineyard, and they were just renting it, but they were acting like they owned it. This is a picture of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the scribes, all the ones who led in Jewish belief at that time, and even people who admired those leaders, and he said it in a way that was complete. And they knew exactly what he was talking about in that parable. He revealed their very hearts, because it says in verse 16, he says, you know, he sent his son, right? They, they killed the son, 
And, of course, then he's really talking about him coming back one day, though, again. He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. And, of course, they're saying, yes, yes, yes. And then they're saying, oh, no, no, no. Because why? They understood what he had said. They heard it. They understood. Oh, no, may it never be. Because they were going along with that. Those terrible vineyard owners and he's saying that's you. Okay. This is right after this, folks, that the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests, they're all getting together now. So that's it. And, you know, they've rejected the chief cornerstone. That's how that last section stood up. And he gave them Scripture and he says, you will reject The stone which the builders reject, this became the chief cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. All the people who reject him, who do not believe in him, they will be judged. And so, they rejected the chief cornerstone, and they thoroughly understood what Jesus is talking about. And so, they had been put down by Jesus, and they couldn't say a thing about it at that time. You know what their motive is now? To get even. He made them look bad as He always does because He is truth. He is the truth. They now have a personal vendetta against Jesus. How dare you to make us look what you have done and what He had done with the temple. He had cleared it all out. You remember all the money changers and the sacrificial animals and how they were taking money from people in preposterous ways and he has cleared that out and now he's said things like this. It says here now in verse 19, as we go from verse to verse, we'll uh, try to do phrase by phrase, and it says the scribes and the chief priest. Well, the scribes, you know, are the scholars, they're like the lawyers, uh, the, the theologians. Yet the chief priest, those were the most prominent priests. Many of them actually were Sadducees who were liberal. They only believed in the first five books. They didn't believe in the resurrection or anything miraculous or supernatural. That's that's another group. There was another group called the Pharisees and their religious fanatics. They are fundamental to the very degree. Every little law. And then there are Herodians. You can say, I'm not seeing Pharisees and I'm not seeing Herodians here. Well, the Herodians are politically motivated and let's see if we can pick up about these Herodians and Pharisees because only in Luke does it say scribes and chief priests. But what does Mark say in the same story? 12.13 We'll get a couple other political groups. This is the age of politics that we live, isn't it? You have different groups. I mean, each one of them stand for something. A lot of them stand for good. A lot of them stand for evil. Well, Mark 12.13 says, Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Him in order to trap Him in a statement. This is the same story. They're saying the same stuff. Mark just gives us a little bit more. Matthew says the same thing. So we're talking about the Pharisees are there along with the scribes, the chief priests, and the Herodians. Well, chief priests, scribes, Pharisees, we've talked about they hate Jesus and they've established that. 
Pharisees and the Sadducees don't get along at all because one is liberal and one is conservative, fundamental, right? They're at odds. They do not talk with each other. But at this time, they are going to get together along with the Herodians, which we just saw there in Mark. And so let's talk about the Herodians. Since we've talked much about the Pharisees throughout all of Luke, the Herodians are another sect. And they really are a political sect. The Pharisees, religious, Sadducees, religious, but here's your political group. Who are they? Well, they're a political party of pro-Herod Jews. They're Hellenistic in a way. A lot of them come from Galilee. Some are in Jerusalem. But Hellenistic means they lean towards the Greek, uh, Gentile uh, kind of thinking, even though they're they're Jews. They're the, uh, I guess, really uh, hated by most Jews, they're uh, and then they're uh, they're named after the Her- uh, Herods, the Herodians, right? King Herod, it was King Herod when Jesus was born. Well, that Herodian family has a dynasty even at the time that Jesus now is grown up here in his thirties, right? And so uh, these Herodians play a big part in this. Most of the Jews don't like them because they are pro-Herod. And Herod is kind of like a king over the nation of Israel, kind of a puppet, because he really doesn't have much power over them because the Romans have it, but they would let local people take control of that uh, city or an area. They, it's expedient for people to get along with the pro-Herod's or the Herodians, at this time, the the pro-Herods or the Herodians were pure politicians. They didn't really care so much about the religion of the day, but they wanted to stay close to the Herods because they were wealthy and they had some power. Does this sound like anything that you would have today? So, even though they're Jews, they're going along with the uh, the Herods, and the Herods really are not really Jewish. They're kind of a mixture, but they're Hasmoneans is who they are. And so, really not fully Jew at all. So, you have the pro-Herods or the Herodians who play the game with them because... The Herodians are underneath the power of the Romans. And so if they're in good with them, if you know them, maybe you have a little bit of a a click going on with the Romans and and, and what they would do. It would be good to have some power by going to the Herodians and then the Herodians take it to who? The Romans. So I go to length here about the Herodians. We could have scooted right over that, but how many times have we seen it in Mark? Have we seen it before? One time. And it was like in the very first part of Jesus' ministry. They wanted to kill Him then. Let's go to Mark 3, verse 6. Now this is, of course, not in Luke. But way early in His ministry, we see the motive. In verse 6, Mark 3, 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with who? The Herodians. Against him. 
as to how they might destroy him. And what I say is really fascinating. Guys, we have the Pharisees with the Herodians. Pharisees were against all the things that the Romans did and what the Herod stood for. And what the Herodians were doing. They were sellouts to the Roman government, really. So do you see what's going on? Isn't it amazing that whenever evil people who hate other evil people will come together to destroy something good? Have you seen that before? That is just so natural, isn't it? They hate each other, but they come together for this thing because they need them. They need the Herodians to get this to the Romans. They don't have very good direct access to the Romans, but if you can get the Herodians and they can hear what Jesus says, then they're going to get done what they want. Now, does that help? I know we went to length there and spent a lot of time on there, which that word is not there, the Herodians, but actually it is in this story. So, they want to destroy him, and it says, 19, this chief's deep scribes tried to lay hands on him that very hour. They want to get him now, that very hour. And they feared the people. They want to get him now, but they fear the people they know. Uh, I mean, you know, they're going to lose the people's trust if they come in there and just cart him away. They can't do it. See, they have popularity. They have acceptance. They have elevation. They have honor, recognition. I mean, you know, respect from the people, the leaders do, don't they? They don't want to lose that at all, you see. So they needed the people like all false religious religious leaders do. They need to have respect from the people. So what do they do? Well, you know, these guys are pretty bright for humans in their own wisdom. So... They feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. And we already described that, didn't we? The parable that we looked at last week, the vineyard owner. Okay, next verse. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him and to become in some statements so they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. Okay. What's, what's happening? Well, it says they watched Jesus. You know, this word has an idea of surveillance in this context. Surveillance. What do spies do? Put on a surveillance. As a matter of fact, what will they do? They will follow uh, people. You know, they're in a car and they're secretly you know, a block or two away watching them and then somebody gets in a car and they take off and boom, they, they put a, a, a tail on them, don't they? Um, <clears throat> well, they're watching Jesus there at the temple and watching every move he's making, what he's speaking. And so here come spies who don't look like the Pharisees And, and you'll notice they have all the outfits on and they look very religious and such. They have like people like come in the, the common mode. They just look like an average Joe. And they are going to ask the, the question. Later these guys are, they're always around Jesus. But at this time they're spies. You don't want to look like that, right? So, 
That's the thought there. Um, they sent spies. They're masquerading as honest truth seekers. We just want to know the truth. Can you, can you give us some wisdom of what to do about it? This is the question of our day. What do we do with the money? that we have earned, and the Romans are taking it from us. Should we pay it to them? Well, most Jews would say what? No. Okay. So but they pretend to be righteous. Isn't that really what false religion always does? These guys are false in their religion and their beliefs. They pretend to be righteous. They pretend. And they carried on for a long time. For years they've been doing it. Were they really righteous? What makes one righteous? There's nothing in us that's righteous. There is nothing good, Romans 3 says, in us. And no, not even one. Jesus said, there is none good. Wow. But they pretend to be. That's their whole problem. You see, it's the righteousness that we have all comes from Christ. And it was done at the cross where we made an exchange. We didn't really make it. He did. He took our sin and put it upon Him. He took His righteousness and put it in us. What an exchange. What's that called? The great exchange. Well, they have a planned attack here. All of the religious leaders and as the spies are there. Now in, in Matthew 22.15, the story goes on, says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted together. How they might travel. The word is plotted. Okay, here's how we got to do this. I mean, they really have a a plan. Matter of fact, it, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant plan. A great question in human wisdom. This is a high level, multilateral meeting that they are having. This is representing all of Israel by the top people. Politicians and religious leaders, and now they're going to send out spies to Jesus. They didn't want to wait long. They have to find a way, and there's a massive populace out there that are really on Jesus' side, and they've got to figure out some way to get them on their side, which eventually they do. This was one of the times that they were really trying it. It didn't work. How are they going to do it? How are they going to do this? There's only one way. There's only one way. Here's our plan. Here's our plot here. There's only one people that can crucify Jesus to execute Him. In the land of Israel, the Jews cannot do that. The Herodians can't even do it. The Romans can. 
They had to kill Him. We've got to get it to the Romans somehow. How can we get Rome to arrest Him and kill Him? Now really, all of these people that are the Jews, the Jewish leaders, unless you are a Rodian, you are anti-Rome, aren't you? You are... You, you hate the Romans because there they are. They have taken over your country. They've taken over the city of Jerusalem. Soldiers are everywhere. It's not your own land anymore. Rome was hypersensitive about insurrection. If somebody would speak against them, it could lead to a crucifixion if it was serious enough. So, do you see the brilliant plan that these leaders have. We can't kill him. We can't arrest him. But we know who can. And we get together our Rhodian friends here, (laughs) who they hate, and they will hear Jesus. And they'll take it straight to the Romans because they're pro-Roman, right? They're going to communicate it to Rome. Is all this making sense? Does this help? The Romans, if they see enough evidence there, they will swiftly execute the one who is rebelling. So we did verse 20, right? They want to catch him. Did you do the Matthew 22.15? Yeah, I did that to 22.15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we get into flattery. Verse 21. They question him saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly. And you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God and truth. This entire effort here is hypocritical. Hypocritical is the whole idea. And of course, Jesus knows this. He knows that this is hypocritical. Uh, he reads their hearts. They're flattering Jesus. He doesn't show partiality. He teaches God's way truly. He's called a teacher here. And he teaches the way of God in truth. He's a great teacher, is really what they're saying. You know the word for teacher there? Or rabbi? In this sense, the word is didaskale in the Greek. And it's not just any old kind of teacher. This is the highest of rabbis when they use this word. They're really puffing him up. Is really what that's that's their idea in, in doing that. They're elevating him, right? It had to be painful to say that. You're such a great teacher. See, they're actors. Hupokrites uh, is one who was an actor. In the Greek theater, they would have a stick and then would have like a, a face on it as a cutout, and they would carry that around. You remember, you've seen that before. And in their theater, they would be playing another part. They're somebody that they really are not. They're doing something that they wouldn't ordinarily do. They are playing like they are righteous, right? Does that make sense? That's why that word... Uh, Hupokrites uh, pops up there, uh, and where Jesus says uh, he detected their trickery and such. Anyway, 
uh, he teaches correctly. Okay, he says, teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly. Interesting about that word there. I'm going into Greek a lot because the, as the as the this is being written, it's being written to a, a Gentile audience, and these words stick out. That word there would be ortho. Have you ever gone to an orthodontist or an orthopedic? How about orthodox? It means straight. It means upright. If you have orthodox, it means be, uh, it's dealing with giving glory and honor to God. Doxa is glory. Straight glory. Uh, you speak orthodox truth. You're not partial to anyone. You speak truth. Now do you see that? You, you don't play favorites with anybody. No matter what it is, you say it's straight. Well, you know what? Everything they're saying is absolutely right. These guys are great actors. And do you know what? When you really get down to it, you know, it, people win Oscars and you know all sorts of different awards, you know, for being actors. But everybody is an actor, and we act out things sometimes. Probably it's good sometimes when we act out. Sometimes we feel really terrible. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. And inside, you know, man, I feel really terrible with it. But, you know, you get into that and it's a downer. And so you're acting out like you're good, but you're really not at that time, right? Or it can work the other way, you know, whatever. But at any rate, these guys really have it mastered because that's what they've been doing ever since they started the career of leading people to worship God. They are play actors in a religion that is has been made to be corrupt. So, here we go. In verse 22, Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Hey, we all want to know this. You are a great teacher. You're like one of the best. Everything you teach is true. Everything that comes out of your mouth is true. Is it lawful to pay the Romans money for taxes? That's where we're at here. In their minds, there's only one answer. No. As far as the Bible is concerned, no. Right? He's aware of this. It says... um, in 23, he detected their trickery, panurgia, and they're trying to get him to deny that it's right to give tribute to Rome. They want him to say it's not right. But if he doesn't say that, if he says, yes, it is, then you're going to have all of the Jews against him. He doesn't have a chance, right? Boy, that was a good question. There's only one problem. They're not using the wisdom of God there. (laughs) That's the problem. If we use our own wisdom, we'll go wrong every time. If we use God's wisdom, isn't that what we want to do? We'll be on the right side. Well, they're putting Him in what they thought was a catch-22. They've done it. They said, we've got Him now, guys. These are the elite thinkers of the world. Got Him trapped. He cannot give a right answer, yes or no. He doesn't have a chance. It's like having a, 
a lawyer putting you on the stand and saying, well, this would be to men, I guess. Have you stopped beating your wife? And if you say yes, that's not good. Yes, I stopped beating my wife. What does that mean? Or you could say, no, I uh, have not stopped beating my wife. You can't win with that. Uh, Give me a yes or no, right? That's really what it's about. Paying taxes to Romans in their minds. He ought to say no. Well, he says here, uh, what's it? uh, Taxes to Caesar. Taxes, that's what Luke uses of... In Matthew, you get the word phoros for taxes. Uh, Luke uses taxes in a way that would mean general taxes, which could mean um, it's general in that there's there's taxes like the poll tax. There's taxes on the wine, on the grain, um, your land. Anything that you own, there's taxes that you have to give to the Roman government. And there's the poll tax, which was once a year, and and it was a denarius that each person would be liable to to the Roman government. A denarius is one day's wage. And to a Roman, that's what they got, a a Roman soldier, I mean. They would get a denarius that would be an average of one a day. So out of all the days of the year, there's one day that you've got to pay to, uh, to the Romans for this. One denarius that uh, was used to finance the occupation of the armies that were in Jerusalem. That denarius is making sense as we see what Jesus says a little bit here in, that we'll notice Okay, uh, so we've seen what Matthew uses, so it must be that one. But they did pay taxes, as Luke says, just general taxes all the time also. So it doesn't matter, right? Either way, it's definitely both. You can see why Matthew pinpointed it there, because as we move into 23, we move to point 2. They have the question, number one. Have we gotten that so far? Number two is the answer that Jesus gives. This is remarkable. Folks, this is our Lord. This is our Savior. What an answer. Nobody else is going to come up with this answer. He knows their trickery. He knows their deception. They Most people would be carrying these coins... He detected the trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius whose likeness inscription does it have. I love this. This is incredible. The coin would read, Tiberius Caesar, Augustus, son of divine Augustus. On this side, right here, that's what that is saying. Augustus. Caesar Augustus. And that's the coin Exactly, probably exactly what Jesus told them to get. He gets it and, he's, you know, and he says, okay, whose image? And, and what does it say on it? It shows that they're under Roman sovereignty, doesn't it? Go back to this. 
You might see it a little bit better. You can almost read it. And it's in Latin, but a lot of those letters convert to us. And on the other side is Pontius Maximus. Pontius Maximus. That means chief priest. So, he's the Caesar, or he is, he is Lord, he's king. By the way, the Russians call them czars. Here, you have a Caesar in the Roman government. A lot of those words are like that, that are related. You can see how they're, as they're translated into their own language, but uh, it's fascinating. It's the size of a dime. It's silver. Average pay for a day's labor. Jesus asked, hey, whose inscription is on there? They say Caesar's. Uh, the image of the Roman emperor, Tiberius Caesar. By the way, if you were the Caesar and you just got uh, promoted to that, you would change all the coins and it would now be new coins with Tiberius Caesar on it or whoever's next. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? They would change their coinage there. By the way, on this side right here is the image of the goddess of peace. Now, would you say that this is Jewish? <laughs> Pagan. Idolatry. You're a Jew. You have to use this kind of money. You owe them a denarius. Are you kidding me? How would you like the Russians to take over our country and then all of a sudden we are paying taxes to them and we're no longer using the money that we've always used. We're using their money and paying them because it's not ours. That is the situation that they live in. And that's why that was such a volatile question that they ask Him. That's why I say it's an awesome question from a human. But coming from God... He says, okay, show me that. Okay, yeah, and then they tell him, yeah, that's, that's Tiberius Caesar. Uh, Pontifex Fex Maximus, I really like that one, chief priest. It was a religion too, as well as a country. They had multiple gods. Caesar is God, really, is what this means. That's why a lot of Christians lost their lives because they would not say Caesar is God. Jesus Christ is Lord. They would not do that. Do you know what Jesus is doing here? He's giving instruction to His people on how to live in a secular society under duress, corruption, persecution. And this was great teaching for the body of Christ for 2,000 years. How do you live under a government that's against everything you believe in? What does Jesus say? Whatever Caesar's, give it to him. Whose coin is that? It says Caesar's. Well, whatever you owe, give it to Caesar. See, they weren't expecting that. But now that could make the people really mad if he's saying that. Romans 13 is uh, same kind of doctrine here. Paul in the New Testament 
And Romans 13 says, here's how you live in the world. Here's how you live as far as governments are concerned. And he stands up for it. He says, every person in verse 1 is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. So how do leaders get to be leaders? God brings them in. That's how sovereignty is. You say, but the people elected them, or they were, you know, the son of such and such, you know, so therefore they become king. But who really puts them there? Well, the Old Testament says that God puts all kings there, and he, they do His will ultimately, even though they do many sinful things, and He never makes people sin. But he still uses these leaders and it says they're established by God. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. We are not to be rebels, is what he's saying. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good, uh, uh, for good behavior, but for evil. It's, you're not to fear the government. Really, it's, you know... Uh, it. it they're to protect you from evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger. Which means there has to be punishment for evil wicked doers. And if not, then they get away with anything they want to do. Flashing guns all around over the neighborhoods and, and right here in Jeff City. They respect no authority. Therefore, if it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake, because of this you pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. He's saying honor the government. Being subject to them, you can say, what if they're evil and wicked? Well, that's true. What if they tell you not to uh, tell the truth of the gospel? Well, Acts 5.29 tells us there, we must obey God rather than men. If it is something against that, like we are pro-lifers, uh, we don't like the, uh, the baby in a womb uh, to be taken, right? We are pro-life because there is life there. That is a baby. So if that be the case, then we don't go along with the government. But ultimately, we can't go up and shoot, start shooting people. We can protest to a sense... You know, be very uh, respectful at the same time. It's a tough thing to do. Uh, it's a hard thing to be a dual citizen because we're citizens of heaven, but we're citizens here representing Christ. And it is difficult. How do you draw that line? Well, we know if it offends Christ, and we know that this is uh, against Christ and is rebelling, then stand on the side of Christ. If it's something that, okay, they're doing this, but I still have to you know, be uh, the citizen here and do what says, even though there's things that I disagree with. It's a, it's a tough line, but uh, that's what Jesus is setting forth here of how to live in this society. First, uh, 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 Peter talks about this also. Uh, interesting, Luke 23, verse 2. This is later on... Uh, 
few hours later, I guess you could say, because we're, we're boiling down to the crucifixion here. That's where we're at already, the Passion Week of Christ. 23.2 says, that as they brought Him before Pilate. Now, this is looking ahead. And now He's before the Romans, right? They've got Him. And they began to accuse Him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that He Himself is Christ a king, that He is Lord. What's the problem here? Did he ever say, don't pay taxes? No. He said, whatever Caesar's give to him, that's his. That's his money. He owns it. His face is on it. If you have to give it all to him, give it to him. Wow. <laughs> you owe that to them. He, he owns that. That's his. That's his silver. Wow, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? So, yeah, you got to love this. Show me one of your coins. Whose image and inscription is on there? Caesar's. Give to Caesar. Caesar, what belongs to him? What has Jesus just done here? He has taken it to a different level. He's risen above all that they talk about. And he actually is pointing to a more profound truth. Going way beyond taxes. Important, but there's something more important than that. And, you know, dealing with taxes, did Caesar build your roads? They had a Pax Romana, which meant there was some kind of a, you know, a pact made with all the world that Rome would take the people's money, but they built roads, and those were roads that later on Paul would be traveling on. And... Uh, so, you know, bridges, administration, justice, today, you know, of course, schools, and you go on and on. Different things. What if we didn't have streets? How would we get here? What if we didn't have highways, bridges, uh, you know, the infrastructure, all the things that they take care of, the parks, and uh, just go on and on. And, and there is a good thing with that. You'd be willing to pay a certain amount to be able to drive here to church, wouldn't you? You know, on a paved road. So, no problem with that. Um, Jesus doesn't have any problem. Uh, give the tribute that he deserves. The state is ordained by God. Uh, valuable services. You know, we share in the benefits that the state has, but we also share in the responsibilities of the state. So, government has the right to exist. Uh, I think First uh, Peter two thirteen through seventeen, basically the same thing. Same thing. Being subject to the uh, the governor. Uh, so an either or question, Jesus turns into a both and answer. He voids the trap totally. So render unto Caesar. Now render unto God. The coin has Caesar's image on it, right? So we see that. We've looked at that. What about this image? And this is what caught me this week. It dawned on me that yes, that's Caesar's image on the coin. But he says, if you're his, you have the image of Christ on you. We were created in the image of God. But at the fall, at Adam's sin, 
what happened? It marred, it corrupted the image that was made of God. That is sad, isn't it? We were made in the very image of God. Does that mean we don't have some kind of image of God? Oh, yes, we do. But it's been really corrupted. And it's really hard to tell the image of God in our world today, isn't it? But His image is there. And He puts it on His people because of a recreation. Born again means we're recreated to be like Christ. Do you know what our whole goal is? Let's boil it down to this. To have the image of Christ. To be like Christ. More and more. Christians, that's what we are about. Go to Romans 8. The golden chain. One of my favorite passages ever. Romans 8. I love that. It is a gold it is a it's a gold ring with a diamond in it that is flashing with the bright rays of the sun that we have today, scattering the light everywhere in different colors. It is brilliant, isn't it? And we look at verse twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew for the foundation of the world. He also predestined or means to be predetermined to what? To be conformed, look at this folks, to the image of His Son. That's what it's all about. That's why we exist folks. To be the image of Jesus Christ. Because you know what it does here in Romans, following that, it says so that He would be the firstborn, or this means preeminent among many brethren. You see, when we're like Christ, who does it bring glory to? Christ. When we're like Him and we do Christ-like actions, and think like Christ, according to His Word, it brings Him glory. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Do you know you're enjoying God? Did you know you're glorifying Him? If you're enjoying God this morning in the reading of the Word, in the prayers, in the singing, in the preaching of the Word, fellowshipping, are you enjoying that? There's nothing like it. Did you know that you're giving God glory? And do you know what? He enjoys that Himself. This is about God enjoying us, enjoying Him. And He enjoys us. Wow! We are made in the image of Christ. Only the people who are in the image of Christ can give God glory. Nobody else can. That's why we urge people, enjoy God. Look at Him for who He is. Enjoy Him for eternity. The image of Christ. Boy, when that struck me that this week, I knew about the image of the coin. That's what they saw all the time. The Jews hated that. And He says, okay, go ahead and give it to the Romans. It's theirs. Give it to Caesar. Whatever He wants. In a way. But you render, you give to God... What is His? What is it? 
What is that? What's our priority? You know what? This is a word of edification. He's teaching us. Jesus is teaching us right now. He taught all the ones that were at that temple at that time, but this is great teaching for the rest of 2,000 years because I want to tell you, for the most of that time, the church was under persecution. For the first three, four centuries, what happened to the church? The Caesars killed Christians constantly. And then even after that, there was a Roman Empire and all of a sudden the Roman Empire accepted Christianity and in a very loose way and all of a sudden it was legal to be a Christian. Matter of fact, everybody in the country was considered to be a Christian. But throughout all that time, a lot of them were forbidden to read the Word of God until the Reformation. And then there was an outpouring, a great revival of that. So, they understood what it was to be made in the image of Christ. You know what? God owns us. Caesar may own the money. They make it. We have this money. I have some coins in here and it's mine. But I really can't do anything I want with it. I can take dollar bills and mar them up. Burn them. You know, you know that's illegal. You can't do that. Who owns it? Government. They let us use this as a means of trade. This is pretty rare anymore though, isn't it? <laughs> this is where everything is at. <laughs> Allegiance belongs to God and God alone. Is there a place for civil disobedience? Yes. And I was talking about in Acts 5.29 and throughout Acts where people are testifying Jesus Christ and they get arrested and then they get released and they say, you stop talking about Jesus and His resurrection and then we won't arrest you anymore. And they go out and what is the first thing they do? Start glorifying God and talking about the resurrected Christ. <laughs> and then they get arrested again. You see, they were caught in their own trap as we finish it out here. Uh, Right at the end in verse 26, they were unable to catch Him in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at His answer, they became silent. Has this happened before? Our victor won for us again. And He always does. He never lets us down. I love this. Don't you? He beat the authorities. Told truth. We, in this sense, though the lesson, the main lesson is we owe God our very existence. He created us. We're not here by accident. If that is the case, then everything is random. Everything means nothing. We came from nothing. We came from not a conscious being. It just spun out of something that was really nothing. Nothing becomes something. Scientifically, that cannot happen. You'll never see that. Can you have a car just appear out of nowhere? It wasn't there, and then there it is. Of course not. He owns us because He created us. He owns our bodies. He owns our possessions. He owns our money. He owns our time. He owns our gifts. He owns everything. All we are are stewards and servants. I'm glad because I can't handle my money really that good anyway. 
It's always gone. You ever know? I get paid and then it's gone. And I get paid and there. You know. you know what? The overarching principle is that we are to submit to the absolute sovereignty of God. I like that. I, it's either being under Him or being under Satan. You have those two. Which one do you really want, right? The supreme ruler. He sets up rulers and takes them down. Brings them up, takes them down. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but above all, give to God your everything, because He is all in all. We, as Christians, are in His image and becoming more and more and more like Christ so that you can give more glory to Him. And we become more like Christ and we give more glory to Him and we give more glory and more glory and we become more and more like Christ. It's an ongoing thing till one day, it says in 1 John 3, 2, we will see Him as He is and be like Him. Good news? Let's pray. Father, what a great God You are. And Lord, we have been in the presence of You this morning as a group of people who adore You. We realize that You own us. And we're thankful for that because You provide everything we need. You've given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You give us everything we need. Why wouldn't we want to return back praise to You and saying, thank You, Jesus Christ, for what You've done for us. You are great. You are the authority. We're Your servants. And we want to hear one day, well done, good and faithful stewards. Go into the presence of God in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.